Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James discusses slavery in four varying ways, beginning with conventional slavery and proceeding to spiritual slavery. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org. You can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. Father and our God, as we consider your word, I ask that where your word is faithfully preached, there you are, there your presence, there is your presence. So be with us this time, my God. Speak through your servant and give your servants ears to hear, eyes to see. Fill us by your grace and your mercy with your truth, with your testimony, with your revelation. Feed your people by your truth. Show us your ways. <clears throat> Lead us on. Keep us on the path of righteousness. This we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the verse we are going to consider, which will open up into more categories and headings and so forth, is Nehemiah uh, chapter 9, verse 36. Okay? And then, uh, and then we'll proceed from there. Okay. Here we are, servants today, in the land that you gave our fa- to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it. Now, the context, the specific context of Nehemiah and Ezra, just so you know, the book just before this is called Ezra, and these two books were likely one book originally. However, they, when the Septuagint was written, again, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they broke it into two books. Same thing with with uh, First and Second Samuel. That used to be one book. Second, First and Second Kings, one book. First and Second Chronicles, one book. Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. And Ezra was a priest. He he was he was delivered back. This is after their captivity. They were returned. The Persian king uh, Cyrus allows them to return. Gives them provisions to rebuild the temple. That's why Ezra went back. And so he went there first. Then Nehemiah was the cupbearer of. Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes uh, but it's most likely the second. There are two Artaxerxes, and um, it's most likely the second one that he was serving. But he was just a cup. He was this cupbearer, so a very prominent man. <clears throat> cupbearer would basically, obviously, serve the drinks for the king or the emperor, as it were. Uh, but basically, he would have to taste it first to make sure it wasn't poisoned. But he pleads for the king to let him go back to really restore the city. And what he, Nehemiah's job was to do was really rebuild the walls. And we'll get, we're going to consider somewhat of that story under our third heading. So I just want to kind of introduce who, these, who Ezra and Nehemiah are, where they kind of fit in to the history of redemption. This is just after the exile. So this leads into the intertestamental period, okay, where it's placed in the Bible. Wouldn't suggest that necessarily. Malachi is the last prophet. But this really does go lead into the intertestamental period, which we've discussed. It's a period of about 400 years of utter silence, of utter prophetic silence. Nehemiah comes to serve, to restore, rebuild the city that was destroyed. However, <clears throat> there are basically four main headings I'd like to discuss. What he's refer- So here we are, servants today, in the land that you gave our fathers, 
to eat its fruit and its bounty, bounty. Here we are servants in it. And just the following verses. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. So basically, that he is saying we are unwilling slaves here. Basically, it seems like we're still being judged, okay? And so we're going to consider that under the third heading. The first heading I want to briefly talk about is traditional or, you know, conventional slavery, however you want to put it. Slavery as we know it. You know, we have a history of slavery in our own country. And just a little side note, the Christians led the charge of abolition in England and in America. So as much as might be complained against many Christians who owned slaves. Basically, the slaves were also, many of them, converted to Christianity. Praise be to God. And they came up with wonderful hymns to God. Amazing spiritual songs that, that are wonderful. But throughout the, the history of mankind, there have been, there's been slavery, a bondage, an unwilling bondage. There is an indentured servitude where you, where you owe somebody something, and if you don't have the money to pay, then you become their slave for a time until you can pay it off. That still be kind of unwilling, but at least you're paying for something. There's an exchange there. Slavery, in its rudimentary form, it's really a bondage. It's an unwilling labor. It's, it's, it's a labor that's... that's that's not the plan of creation. Let me put it that way. You know, some men are called to lead other men and women, but not, and we'll get to this, but Christ says, whoever will be over you, whoever will be, you know, a master over you must be your servant. Okay, and we'll get to that. But basically, but ultimately the, the, the slavery that we know about is a bondage, an unwanted bondage. And that's all I want to say about conventional slavery, because what we're really going to concentrate on is spiritual slavery. But before we do that, I do just want to uh, mention going into this, 1 Corinthians um, verses 20, uh, chapter 7, verses 22 and 23 say, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, let's just remember that as we lead into this. We'll look at, we're going to look at many, many different verses, okay? So, but that's key, okay? First of all, those who are slaves right now are freed in Christ. And those who are freed men, in other words, aren't under the bondage of other men, are Christ's slaves okay let's just remember that as we go in so what we briefly what i'm briefly want to consider right now is uh, slavery to sin okay and so the first uh, verse we're going to consider with that is john 8 30 or chapter 8 verse 34 and i have so many tabs here i'm just trying to find which one that is here it is this is it okay Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And just real quickly to continue. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. But first he says, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. Let's remember that. And again, even in Romans chapter 6, which we're going to consider, Paul talks about 
you're, you're a slave of whomever you, you choose to obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Ultimately, you serve some sort of master. Every one of us serves a master. Ultimately, in the paradigm of righteousness and salvation, it is either serving sin leading to death or serving or, or, or in obedience, uh, delivering us to righteousness. So, as we continue. Now, when he says, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever, and we're, we'll consider even what, what Paul kind of talks about. Basically, the son, when, when, when you're a young son, even in the house of a master, you're basically equal to a slave because you're being raised up into the household. You're not a master yet, so you're basically equal to a slave. And then once you're grown, you, you inherit. You're the heir of, of that inheritance, right? And so what Christ is saying, uh, uh, a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. He's saying, I'm a son. <laughs> you know. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Once the son is the heir, he is the heir of righteousness. He is the heir of salvation. He is the anointed one. Okay, so he's saying, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. There is a dichotomy between being slaves to Christ, which is absolute liberty. And that's the point we, what we really want to try to drive home today. That point, and that's the way we're kind of, kind of going to conclude. But, so... Uh, and also, Proverbs 5.22 says, His own iniquities trap, entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. So again, he is caught in the cords of his own sin. All of these devisings, all of the, many men and women try to trick or, or to con other people because they're greedy. Ultimately, that all falls. That's all destroyed. It might last for a time. It might even last the rest of their life. But there is a time of judgment. There is a time of judgment. That's, that's why the, the philosophy of even the Sadducees who, who, who say that basically God remits his punishment and his rewards in this life, we see clearly that's not the case. Many tyrants, many terrible men have lived their whole lives in luxury, while many righteous men and women suffer and are poor and lay low. So our ultimate reward or ultimate punishment is in the hereafter, is by the judgment of God and God himself. But, he's, but uh, Solomon is saying in Proverbs, he is caught in his own cord, in his own sin. He trips over his own sin, over his own foolishness. He thinks he's almighty. And his pride, by his pride, he falls. <clears throat> Uh, Genesis. Oh, Gen I don't want. I don't have to turn to it. Genesis chapter four. When when Abel is tempted to remember, he's all upset that God received Abel's. Uh, um, so Cain is all upset because God received Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't receive Cain's. And and God basically says, "Why are you so downcast? Why are you so frustrated? Why are you so so angry? Sin is at the door. Basically, the sin sin is creeping up." But you should master it. So, we are either a slave to sin or a master of sin. Again, we will never be perfect. But when you are tempted, you either choose to serve your master, the devil, or sin, 
or you choose to serve God. Christ has given you the spirit of righteousness, and he, the Holy Spirit, convicts us before we sin, certainly after, afterward, leading to repentance. But we must be masters over ourselves, ultimately. We are corrupt people. We are corrupt men and women, inclined to do things we know are not right. Let us be diligent in seeking His righteousness, to conform to His image. This is not, this is, again, this is not an easy faith. This is not a credulous faith. We don't just accept Jesus and then, I don't know, do our best, more or less, kind of when we feel like it. It is a daily sojourn. It is a moment-to-moment -moment walk with God. Our circumstances ebb, ebb and flow. God remains forever. So we must be diligent to be masters over sin. Okay, so... Our next heading, because I'm just going to skip some of these other ones, uh, is a slave to other sins. We're going to focus mostly on these two last headings because I don't think they're considered enough. So a slave because of other people's sins. Now that's really, let me continue the introduction into Nehemiah and Ezra. That's really where they find themselves. Ezra and Nehemiah, again, are not perfect, but just like Hannah they, they are committed to the people of God and the Word of God and, and the providence and the, and the presence of God. The Jews were seeking for glory, they were seeking for light, and they were seeking for ultimate, the absolute, per perfect presence of God eternally. Okay, And that's going to play a part, but that's what they're seeking, that's what they're desiring, and they come back home after this long period of exile, I mean, the, the Ju Judah's exile was about 70 years. However, the ones who were taken into captive uh, to Babylon, I'm sorry, to Assyria, the northern kingdom, that was a period of about 200 plus years. But remember, when they came back, because that's going to play a part somewhat, well, plays a part in Nehemiah and Ezra, the, the Samaritans, the northern kingdom, the, the Assyrian king kind of made it to where they would intermingle and intermarry, and so there would be a mixed race. Now that's 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 that is part of the the huge division between the Samaritan and the Jew in the time of Christ, which we've seen over and over and over again. The, the Northern Kingdom was polluted by their own sin, as we will see, God willing, in weeks to come when we consider David and Samuel and so forth. However, so again, you know, they are suffering the sins of their fathers, but even when the people come, when the people return, when the Jews return, Ezra says something kind of similar as, here we are servants today, but you have not forsaken us in our bondage, basically. But he is cast low because he's, he's given this report that the leaders, they lay, they lay the foundation of the temple. And then all this trouble, you know, the Samaritans come down and make them halt the project, okay? And then that's when Ezra comes, and basically he, he restores it to where, you know, they, they start building the temple again until it's finished. And it's, it's a wonderful period of, of praise. However, the older men are crying. So the younger men are, are praising and rejoicing and worshiping. 
the elder men are crying because they remember the glory of the first temple. This is the second temple, which Herod will redo and make, a, make one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. However, they remember the former glory. But they're, so they're, they're, they have mixed emotions. They're glorifying God for returning them from the captivity, but they still remember the glory of Israel that they were raised in, in which they were raised. So that's kind of the backdrop of Nehemiah and Ezra. However, again, so the people are still inclined to sin, and, and Nehemiah keeps on getting a bunch of hassle from this, from this guy, Sanibalt, I think his name was. He keeps on trying to halt their project of rebuilding the wall, accusing him of all sorts of things. So basically, you know, you're just making it to where once the wall is set up, you're starting to send out prophets right now saying, you know, uh, he, you know here's the king, here's King Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is saying, you're just making that stuff up in your head. Because he's just making, he, he, Sanibalt's trying to get him out from his work to stop the work basically he's trying to disrupt the work and he tries all these different things so they are suffering not by their own sins not because of their own sins but because of another's sins okay so one the first one i want to look at is first lamentations uh, and that's that follows uh, jeremiah the book of jeremiah and that's written by jeremiah as well lamentations over here, obviously. All right, this is the one. Forgot my color coding. Okay, so one through three. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who is great among the nations. The princess among the provinces has become a slave. So again, what, what, what Jeremiah is lamenting is how lonely sits the city that was full of people. Remember, when the, when the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt, they were innumerable. And we continue to see these, these declines and these ascensions. These declines and these ascensions. Jeremiah is saying, remember the former glory. Remember the former glory. When David was king, when Solomon was king, the city was full of people. Now it's lonely. How like a widow is she who was great among the nations. Now she's a widow. She has lost her husband, Christ, our Savior. She's lonely because the glory of God has left. We'll also see next week, God willing, Ichabod is a name that, well, it means the glory of God has departed. We'll see that the cloud over the tabernacle leaves, well, the Ark of the Covenant is taken, and so um, there's a child named Ichabod. So there's, there's lamenting at this time. This is just before the captivity. Jeremiah prophesied just before and a little bit during the southern kingdom's captivity. She weeps bitterly. Oh, I'm sorry, the princess among the provinces has become a slave. So remember uh, Hannah's prayer. He will humble the mighty and he, so he will bring low the, the mighty and the arrogant and he will uh, rise up those who are lowly. The people, the people of God, were inclined to be haughty, to be proud of themselves. That's what led them into idolatry. That's what led them into forsaking God. And so he's, Jeremiah is saying, the princess, the princess among the provinces, again, the motherland, so to speak, the one who, who was seen as this beautiful, adorned princess, 
has now become a slave to these, to these other areas who used to adore her. The Queen of Sheba came down all the way to see the wisdom and to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So Israel has let, lost her glory. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. So again, their idolatry, whom they thought was, were faithful, have let them down. Judah has gone into captivity. Under affliction and hard servitude, she dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. Another Deuteronomy 28, 68. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt. So this is, this is again, uh, Moses' last ser sermon. And basically, he's, he knows that this is going to happen. He knows that there's going to be a kingdom. It, Moses knows everything that's going to go down, basically. So he, he says, And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. By the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you should be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But no one will buy you. That is a stark judgment from God. And basically that is what's going on in the exile. Friends, that is what's going on now. That is what's going on now. The glory of God has somewhat departed because his people has forsaken him, or have forsaken him. That is what's going on now. They are now slaves to the world. When they were, they are meant to be the glory, the light to the world, the city on the hill. And they are dark, they are utterly dark and desolate, empty, famished, impoverished, brought low. And Moses is saying, this way that, that I told you you would never have to come again. Now they did not go into captivity into Egypt, but basically it was like in Egypt. They were taken chained, they had to serve, they were slaves in a foreign country again, which God promised would be the case. And that was one of his curses. If you obey me, blessings upon blessings. If you disobey me, if you regard not my voice, if you regard foolish idols, if you just listen to rocks and wood and stones, then you, will, you are a slave ultimately to those anyway. And you will be left a slave and delivered as a slave. Leviticus 26.13 I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. So and also, just so you know, there are many different times, specifically in Deuteronomy, where God points the people back to, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so obey me for these different things. They're specific, but he's, he's, he's saying, remember, I delivered you. You were slaves in Egypt, and I saved you for, by, by, an, by my outstretched, powerful arm in amazing ways. Don't forget this. Just like we ought to own when we're tempted, when we're tempted, we're tempted to serve our own gods or tempted to be a slave to sin. Let us remember his redemption. Let us remember that we were once slaves to sin, happily slaves to sin. Thought we were masters of ourselves. We were lost in darkness. Let us remember the salvation of our God 
anytime we even are inclined to move away from Him, to take one step away from Him, to take one move off of that narrow path, let us remember the reason why we're that, on that path in the first place. And lastly, Jeremiah, well, not lastly, but Jeremiah 2, 20 through 22. Here we go. There you are. Uh, for of old, I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress. When on every high hill and under every green tree, you laid down playing the harlot. That's, that, is, that is idolatry. And what usually happened in these worship services to these gods are terrible things. Largely prostitution. Child sacrifice was a big deal then. And the Israelites partook in that. And so he's saying, you know, for of old I have broken your yoke. In other words, I saved you. I delivered you. You were a slave and I freed you. And you said, I will not transgress. Remember, we made that covenant and you said, yes, we will obey. You know, you said, I will not transgress. When on every high hill, under every green tree, everywhere there is, you are transgressing. You are serving other gods. You are a slave to foolishness, to idolatry, to rocks that cannot hear or speak. This is what the prophets continue to tell the people. Now, again, we're so inclined to think, well, we don't worship rocks. We don't worship wooden images. We don't worship statues. That, that's foolish. That's of a bygone era. When we worship other things besides, let's not, let's not fool ourselves. Let's not fool ourselves. We elevate things far beyond that which they should be elevated. I'm a fan of sports. I, I like football, I like basketball, I like baseball. But they are not my God. And if I had to choose between a Cowboys game, sorry, we're Cowboys fans, uh, or the Spurs game, I can list them off. Anyway, or worshiping God, seeking His Word, Loved ones, honestly, I can tell you, there's nothing more I love than being in His Word. Now, there is a time for meditation. There is a time for respite. There is a time to enjoy the presence of other people. But, such a thing as cars, or things like this, when, they, when, you, when you lift them up beyond the place of God, where you are not inclined to seek His Word, Martin Luther's congregation would tell him, you know, if we heard directly the voice of God, we would come running every Sunday to church. You know, I mean, you're great, Martin Luther, but, you know, we want the real thing. We want the real thing. And Luther made the point, basically, wherever the Word of God is faithfully preached, the voice of God is speaking. You hear His voice. When you read your Bible, you don't need a man. For this, you need God. God will fill you with His Spirit. Now, He gives different men to see these more. And that's what the minister is. That's, that's why that is. But He's gifted you a special, special way for His purpose for you. Okay? But He enriches all of us. But we have to grow. We have to grow in that exercise. Just like when you... In any exercise, you only get stronger the more you do it. It's going to be tough going at first. You know, when you don't work out for a while, it's 
probably prudent to take it slow. As you, otherwise, you're going to hurt yourself. You're really just not going to develop all that well. You take it slow. You take your time and, and you develop as time goes on. S same thing as you consider his word. Sorry, that was quite... <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yet I have planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me? Again, he's just saying, I have provided for you perfectly. I delivered you into the land of milk and honey, flowing of milk and honey. All of your needs, all of your wants are met. Yet, uh, how then have you turned from me? In other words, we are so provoked towards sin. We are so inclined to serve ourselves when his riches are abundant. You know, we seek after the vain treasures and riches of this world. And Christ says, those will rust away. They'll be eaten by moths and destroyed. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth does not destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. So there is a treasure in heaven laid, given over to us. That crown of righteousness that we made a point is not ours technically. It's a gift from Christ to us for serving him and for obeying him to be for being his slave so to speak which we'll get to god willing anyway but uh, um but for being and for for being his follower and his his disciple into the de uh, degenerate plant of an alien vine so how then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine again the foreigners the people who are not his people how is it that you have turned away from me and followed after these other men? Why are you a slave to men? For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, let your yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. Lest we ever think that since, since we're, we're on this side of salvation, that we are just free to do anything, God marks Every one of our iniquities, let us always remember, Christ will judge the righteous as well. And all of our iniquities are marked by God. He is faithful to forgive us. He is. But that is no, that is no excuse, that is no reason to sin against him. That is all the reason to serve him and be a master over sin. Second Peter 2, 18-22. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they they allure through the lust of. This is talking about deceitful teachers, basically. Okay, for when they because the church is under bondage from the so slavery to others. Basically, I see as two different categories: slaves to other sins from the world, fallen men and women, but also slaves to sins of our brothers and sisters. That's what Nehemiah and Ezra are suffering. And many of the people of God throughout that time, Moses suffered it. All of his deliverers suffered that. David suffered it. In the midst of his brothers, of our brothers and sisters, we suffer because of their deception. So that's what Peter's getting, getting into. Deceptive ministers. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error, 
While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than in than the beginning. Christ even talks about he's he's asking the the Pharisees, you know, because they they go around proselytizing. So in other words, um, preaching the Jewish faith for the for the conversion of people out into the outskirts uh, everywhere, just like Paul was doing, kind of. And he says, "What good is it? What good is it when you when, when you go and proselytize someone and and you know you you cast out one demon and." What good is it when seven demons are going to return and the end of that man is worse than the first? In other words, you convert them for a time, but you don't actually fill them with the word of God. You just persuade men to Christ. So intellectually, they assent to the information, but you have not fed them with the word. You have given them information. You just talk these things. Now this is what is going on. The, 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 these teachers are able to do this because the people merely are having merely have this intellectual assent. For it would, would have been better for them not to have known the, the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it, it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So he's saying... Because of these deceptive teachers who, first of all, they speak with great swelling words of emptiness. They are lured through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually, actually escaped from those who live in error. So in other words, they preach what people want to hear. Just like during the time of Jeremiah, the, these false prophets were preaching, preaching peace. When captivity is coming, Babylon is coming, Jeremiah has been told, so Jeremiah, Jeremiah is coming out and preaching we are going to be taken captive, and nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear the false prophets preaching peace. Peace. And Jeremiah rebukes them for that, saying, Why are you going around preaching peace, peace, when there is no peace? There's not even peace in our land, which is why we're going to be delivered. Why we're going to be taken captive. You know you're lying. These false prophets know they're lying. Brothers and sisters, these false teachers know they're lying. They don't like the Word of God. They want to teach these things because they want people to, be, to feel free and to do these. Christ has to, come to bring us liberty. They think liberty to sin. Now the salvation is completely different. No, God is the same in the Old Covenant as in the New. Christ delivers us into liberty into Him so that we can be free to be righteous. Before we come to him, we are utterly powerless to do so. Utterly powerless. We don't even care. We're not even looking for that. You know? When we come to him, then we do desire righteousness. And he fills us with his own righteousness, conforms us more and more into his image, into his likeness. But that only comes by way of a perpetual, increasingly devotion, increasing devotion in his word and through a faithful minister and through brothers and sisters through prayer and through worship many different means but the word of God is central is central 
You don't know how to pray without the Word of God. You don't know to whom you're worshiping without the Word of God. You don't know who brothers and sisters are without the Word of God. It's so easy, it's so easy to mingle this, to twist and turn in ways you want, to make it fit according to your own will. And that's what these false, te- that's what false teachers do. That's what false teachers do. Look, you think I get a kick out of preaching hell and damnation and condemnation? You think that's all comforting to me? You think I think anybody wants to hear it? You think I'm going to be popular? You think I'm seeking popularity for this? It's in the Word of God. I am His slave. I am merely His bondservant. I'm just a herald. I'm here to say, thus saith the Lord. The last thing you need to hear is, thus says James Myers. That is the last thing you need. That will do you nothing. These false teachers do that. Thus says I. That place is only Christ's. So, let us take heed. Let us take heed. What Peter gets into is not only the false teachers, but those who fall because of the false teachers. Again, they're like the seed that that was planted on stony places, coming gladly for a time, but there's no root. There's no root. Sun comes up and they wither away. They wither away because of the things of this world, things of this world which false preachers and false teachers are inclined to preach. That enriches them. That makes them popular. Again, many preachers have come in with great intentions initially, and they have to water down the word. They have to water down the word because people don't want to hear this. We must not. We must consider God before men. What could be more obvious? I fear nothing more than the judgment to come for teaching and preaching. That's all in James 3, okay? There is a harsher judgment. There's a, there's a greater judgment, let me put it that way. But these fools, these fools fall themselves and they bring everybody with them. Remember, we've talked about that when we were looking at Acts. Take heed. Take heed. Seek after Christ. Seek after the things of Christ and His righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. So Christ says, listen to your Savior, not to men, including me. Again, whenever you hear his word preached, be like the Bereans. Go to your Bibles. Make sure these things are so. This is all recorded. So if you want to go back and check things out and to cross-reference, you can. You can. And I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to do so. That will, that will conform you more and more into your likeness. That will start you on the path of seeking your God. And that must be our, momentary, our moment-to-moment life. It must be our every moment in life. We must not shrink away when we rise up, when we lie down, when we eat, when we have fellowship, when we worship, when we pray, when we do anything. Every moment of every day must be given over to Him and seen in His light. Will we do that perfectly? No. (laughs) No. I'm far from it. We probably can't go 10 minutes without sinning. Okay? I'm not saying this is actually going to be manifest. We are not Jesus. But this must be our hearts. 
This must be our hearts. Okay, and we'll get to that, God will. This continues to take longer. Okay, let's just go to... Okay, last. Last, but certainly not least, and this is going to take most of the time. So we're going a little longer than we thought, never we'd like. But that's fine. This is the most important thing. Slaves to Christ. We've talked about the doulos, the Greek word doulos, which, which Paul mentions, he, he names himself a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ in many of his epistles. James calls himself a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was his brother, by the way. Jude also does. His other brother calls himself a bondservant of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, going back to, oh, good. Going back to Leviticus chapter 26 uh, to continue on. I lost it. There it is. 43. Oh, actually, to skip over to, here we go. But if they, so, chapter 26 goes on to, he continues to, God continues to point out the sins of the people, the sins of the people, and basically increasing, increasingly, if you don't listen to me, then I'm going to do this, and if you continue not listening to me, then I'm going to do this, and make it harsher, and more harsh, and more harsh, and more harsh, to bring you back. Let's remember, that's the same reason for the correction of a father. That's why he who spares the rod hates his son. The father corrects, he rebukes, he disciplines his son because he loves him. The father who disciplines his son in hatred loses his son. Loses his son. We must not, as fathers or mothers, chastise or discipline our children in anger. God disciplines and rebukes us in love. It's not always tender. Okay? It's not, it doesn't always feel good. But at the end, it is for our good. Okay? So, however, after he's saying all this, here, here's the great, the great grace of God. So even after all this, even after you continue not listening to me, and I continue to send plagues after plagues, and you know, judgment after judgment, even so... But if they confess their iniquity and the, and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I have also walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their, uh, their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also should be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will, they will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all of that, when they're, when they're in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. They are going to forsake me. They continue to forsake me. And even when I send them off into captivity and they're, they're slaves in a foreign land, I have not forgotten my covenant, for I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. I am the Lord who does all these things. He is the faithful one. As faithless as we tend to be, as, as, <laughs> as slaves to sin, God 
is the faithful master. Remember when we considered Boaz? A faithful redeemer, faithful master. He goes out to his servants. The Lord be with you. That's what God is continually saying. Let me be with you. I'd really like to be with you. That's why I made this covenant. That's why I sent my son. I love you. And I'd really like to be with you. If you would just stop walking away from me, if you would stop worshiping these idols under every tree and everywhere you go, I would I'd really love to just have fellowship with you in a relationship, a filial relationship, father-son, father-daughter relationship. This is what I desire. But your desire is for other things. I am the Lord. God, obviously. Um, so John, continuing John uh, uh, chapter 30, well, from 34, but we're going to do 35 and 36. And I have so many tabs here, this is unhelpful. <laughs> Sorry. All right, here we go. Do, do, do. All right. Oh, and we're going to consider another one too. Okay. And a slave, oh, well, we did consider this. Remember, 34 was Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whomever commits a sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son, a son abides forever. Therefore, if the, if the son makes you free, you should be free indeed. In Hebrews, it talks about Moses being a faithful servant of the house of God. Okay? But the writer of Hebrews makes a point. Obviously, the builder of the house is not greater than the house itself. Or, I'm sorry, is greater than the house itself. God, Christ, is the builder of the house. We are the house. Okay? So as faithful as Moses was so in, in Christ, you know, so Hebrews is kind of jumping off of this part, basically, saying, uh, saying um, so a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you should be free indeed. Ultimate liberty, ultimate freedom, comes through Christ, and Christ alone. Look into the world. Look, look around. Consider the world and the men and women who don't know Jesus. This is obvious. This is obvious. Everybody else is shackled in sin. And look, again, we are not perfect, but it is altogether clear but that it is Christ and Christ alone who truly brings people free into righteousness, free into being righteous, to reflect himself. However, I also want to talk about this misquoted... Uh, this, so I'm sure you've heard, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Right? Many people... Have you heard that? Many people talk about that. Well, that's taken completely out of context. If we take the ver verse just preceding that, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So in other words, truth, truth is not a vacuous term. Truth is a person. When, Pontius, when Jesus was before Pontius Pilate, and, and Jesus mentions, you know, those who are on the side of truth, listen to me. And then Pilate says, what is truth? And Jesus doesn't respond, but it's, but it's a great irony. The truth himself, the incarnate truth, is right in front of him while he's asking, what is truth? But Christ is saying, they who are my disciples, then they will know the truth, and the truth, meaning Jesus, will set you free. So, 
Let's always remember that and maybe correct people when we hear that to give them the fuller context. Um, okay, Matthew 20, there we go, that should be easy, good. Uh, 25 through 28. Okay, but Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So again, this is what I was alluding to. Those who seek to rule over you must be your servants. They who seek to lead you must be your slave. So, the preacher, the minister, the true one who, who is faithful to God is your slave. Is ultimately a slave to God and to Christ, but is your servant. He's your servant. The pastor, the preacher, isn't like some great hierarchical king. He's not your, he's not your general. He's not your... He's not your leader in that respect. He will he leads you through the word of God, but he is not to be some headship over you. We are one body. There's no hierarchy. That's where the church has gone astray in other in certain churches. And not only Catholics, that's why I leave it fairly vague. But there's this hierarchy that doesn't exist. You know, one is meant to be the head, one is meant to be the hands, one is meant to be the feet. And all the rest, but we are one body. We are one body in Christ. Okay. But that's what, he, that's what Christ is saying. Let, let, that he who seeks to be great among you, in other words, great for my service, really, let him recognize that he must be a slave. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now... We cannot give our lives as a ransom for many. We can give our lives over to the cause of Christ and to the cause of his people. In everything we do, you don't have to preach. You don't have to know the word of God perfectly to serve him. You can serve him just where you are, and he will feed you. He will, he will fill you with himself. He promises that. If you are faithful to seek him, he is faithful to be there to be present with you, to fill your soul. Ephesians. I need to redo these tabs, maybe fewer verses, maybe we'll do it. Here's Philippians. Wrong color. No, here we go. Ephesians 20. Oh, that's not... Oh, six, five through nine. Okay, I'm sorry. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. So in other words, not as I don't do this in order to be seen by men. Even Christ talks about the Pharisees seek to be seen by men. You know, they make their phylacteries long. They try to give these long prayers to be to impress men. So he's basically just saying, do this as slaves of Christ, not, not for eye service or as men pleasers, but to serve Christ. The will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive, receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them. 
giving up threatenings, uh, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So again, let's remember Boaz again. The faithful master and the faithful servants. A beautiful relationship of devotion. That's what we are meant to be in, in all our encounters with, with men. If we are their leaders or if we are somewhat some sort of master over them, we must serve. We must seek to serve Christ and to serve them in our lordship. And if we are servants under a master, we must seek to be faithful servants to them as well by, by the provision of being servants of Christ, servants to Christ. Okay. Second Corinthians. That's going to be for this one. Yeah, Second Corinthians. Sorry. Uh, there is four three through six. Okay. So, uh, Second Corinthians chapter four three through six. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. That just goes back to the preacher is a slave. Uh, to the people. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is so much in that verse. Again, the Jew was looking for glory. The Jew was looking for light. The Jew was looking for the absolute and eternal presence of God forever. Here, Paul brings those all home in the face of Jesus Christ. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts the light from the darkness, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. The face, very briefly, we can't spend too much time here. The face is the person. Just like the name is the person, so basically in the face, in, in the... In the presence of Jesus, he has brought all of these, the light, the glory, and the presence through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the most, that is a gross, brief account of what that means. But again, he's just saying, seek to serve him. Seek to be slaves to righteousness in and through your Savior. Okay, let's, let's just jump to Romans 6. There's a lot in Romans 6 as it relates to the slave and so forth, but I'm going to read from uh, verse 5 through 18, and, and we're going to be very brief about this, but this, this kind of goes, again, goes back into being slaves to Christ before we look at consider the final verse we have for today. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he, for he who has died been, has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we, beli we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts 
And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart uh, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." All that to just recapitulate, to, to, to repeat the fact that we, are, we were slaves to sin, and now we have been freed to be slaves to Christ. Our liberty, our liberty is found in serving our Savior. We are saved. We are saved. Therefore, the world must be completely different. We see the world in completely different eyes. We are filled with His light. He opens our ears. He opens our understanding. You just have to look. He has opened your eyes. He has opened your ears. But it's hard once you are so habitually sinful, you live your life this way, and it's hard to actually finally recognize that you are no longer blind. You are no longer in the darkness. We tend to walk around, many, many in the church, who I believe are, are saved, okay? But, but they still kind of walk around, wandering around as though they're still in the darkness. Because they're still kind of exercising who they were before. Because they don't know who they are in Christ. So what I just want to emphasize is, one, one person, one way we are in Christ, is service to Him, which basically means reigning with Him in life as well. He who dies to sin is alive in Christ. So, He has died for sin once and for all. Now we live in Him. So our service to Him is not a bondage. It is not an unwanted bondage. Not like, not like our conventional slavery. Not like it's slavery to our own sin. Not like slavery to other people's sin. But this is wonderful service. A willful, willful service. A volunteering of sorts. And it's not a transaction either. We will never repay Christ. We must never seek to repay Christ for what He has done. What we seek is to serve and love our Savior not because of what he, but that he's done what he's done. Finally, Philippians 2, 5-15. I'm sorry. No, chapter 2. No, that's not it. No, that's Ephesians. That's one. Okay. Let this mind be in you, which, is, which was also in G- Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Christ himself took the form of a slave. And and coming in the likeness of men, 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death, even the death of a cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above, above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not find it robbery to be equal with God, because he is God. However, he, he made himself of no reputation. The Lord of glory, the Lord of glory. You want to talk about rich kings and wealthy, exalted kings. He is the king of kings. He did not come to, into some palace. He did not come dressed in golden diapers. He, didn't, he, he came in a manger. He came in the most remotest, poorest circumstances. God has made it this way. He came by humble means, remained humble. You would never think he's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We've made that point. He wouldn't stick out in a crowd physically. Once he gets to speaking, yes, he sticks out. You know? but, but before that, you wouldn't see him and think, oh, there's, there's the Lord of glory. There's the Son of God. In his appearance, he was but a man. But he, who could have easily gone around and been like, hey, I'm, he I'm here to rule. All right, I'm the Son of God. I am the King of Kings. I am the Lord of Lords. Here I am. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He took. The, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave. Christ, let this get in your mind. Let this sink in. As much as we're called to be slaves to Christ, Christ came as a slave for us. Again, he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So basically, Paul is saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Just so you know, you're not God. You know, so it would be complete robbery to be considered equal with God in that respect. But make yourself of no reputation. You come in the form of a bondservant. That's what Paul is getting at. Christ himself came to serve. He came to be a slave to his father and to his people. Amazing. Not, the, not because we're masters over him. Let's not. It's because his father is master over him. But in his servitude, in his slavery, he came to do an unwanted deal. Look, that's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, ble he's bleeding. He's sweating out drops of blood and pleading to God, pleading to his father. Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me but not my will, your will be done. He continues, even though, even though he knows he, he doesn't want to suffer, you know, suffering isn't fun, you know, he's not a masochist, 
You know? So he asked though, let your will be done. Ultimately, let your will be done. That's why I'm here. I'm a slave to your will. My food and my drink is to do the will of the Father. Christ says that in another place. And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death, even the death of a cro the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, because he exalts the humble Christ made himself lower than any man or woman has ever made themselves. He is the king of kings, and he made himself the most base servant. Therefore, God exalted him higher than anybody, higher than anything, higher than creation, higher than the seraphim and the <laughs> cherubim, higher than the angels, higher than the universe. At his right hand, at God the Father's right hand, so he's exalted him. And given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in... Okay, now many people think that we will bow at the name of Jesus, because he says the name which is above every name. Okay, very briefly, we've talked about Yahweh, which is the word for God, right? And we've talked about El this morning. Adonai? Adonai is a, is a name, Lord. When uh, David, in his psalm, he says, The Lord said to my Lord. The first Lord is all capital, which means Yahweh. Yahweh said to my Adonai. So within the Godhead, we have Yahweh, we have Adonai. The name of Adonai, every knee will bow. He has given him that name. God the Father has given Jesus the name Adonai that at the name of Adonai, the name of his, his person, the, the person of Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, even when they're on their way to damnation. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that, he, that Jesus Christ is Lord, Adonai, to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow whether here on earth, whether, whether first anyway, rightly here on earth, or in judgment, in absolute judgment. So many proud, exalted men throughout history, in our own time, puff up themselves. On that day, they will be brought low. They will be brought low. And it's not, it's not that Jesus is going to Tell them, hey, get on your knees. Or some angel's going to come and like hit them in the back of the leg. No, they will have no, no option. That is all you're left to do. Again, when Paul was on that road to Damascus, God does not show up to indifferent people. You are no longer indifferent when God shows up, when God is present. There's no indifference involved. Now, he chooses whom he chooses to reveal himself to. But ultimately... Every knee, every knee will bow. Everyone will submit to his lordship. Basically, it's either this side of glory or this side or that side of damnation. We are all slaves in one way or another. We can be slaves either to sin, leading to death, or 
to obedience, leading to righteousness. Master sin. You cannot master Christ. Be a master over sin. Creeps up, and the devil would love to have you. Jesus talks tells that to uh, Peter when Peter, you know, tells him, "You're you know you're never going to go up to Jerusalem and die. That is not going to happen. I don't care what you say." And Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan." And he tell, oh, actually, this is after uh, Paul says he was he would never deny him. You know, he says, "Though all deny you, I would never deny you." And Christ says, "Peter, Peter, Satan is asked." To sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. Basically. And ultimately, you're going to deny me three times before the, crow, before the rooster crows. But ultimately, the devil would have you. The devil desires you. So he would sift you like wheat if it weren't for me. If it weren't for Christ. He is our master. He is our faithful master. And when we are tempted, when, when sin does start to creep in, let us never forget that he is ever present with us. We will ever either turn away from him or turn toward him. We will either serve our master sin or we will serve our master Jesus, our master the Christ, the King of Kings. Logically, just logically, intellectually, it makes no sense to serve sin rather than our Savior. Hearts of men are desperately wicked. But again, if we continue down the narrow path of righteousness, if we continue to seek to be slaves to obedience, slaves in obedience, leading to righteousness, God is faithful. God is faithful to lead us down that path until we're home, until we're finally made complete and made perfect in His sight. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you for your abundant testimony. We thank you for your grace and the liberty we have in Christ, not to sin, but to obey. Not as reluctant slaves in bondage, but as willing slaves in freedom. For you have laid the foundation. Your word is true. Your word pierces our hearts and our souls. Let that be our driving, let you and your presence and your word be our driving force to lead us straight on that narrow path. And Father, we ask for your faithful hand to lead us along the way. May you never forsake us as you promised. Though we forsake you, my God, you are the ever-faithful one. You are the Lord, and there is no other. We praise you without end. And we, may we seek your will all the moments of our lives until we come on that great day. And God willing, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, come and enter into my rest. Father, even so, we give you all the glory, for this is your will. Praise you. Thank you, Father. Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.